With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Knowledge is being buried. Truth is being hidden. Schools where truth and knowledge are supposed to be exposed are being covered by nepotism, favoritism, politics, and racism. And Africans continue to suffer at the hands of this oppressor. How could something like public schools go so bad, so quickly, in front of our very eyes? Maybe because it was never what it seemed to be. Let's unplug our minds from this racist matrix and find wisdom, knowledge, and truth in the mind beneath the school with your host, Mama Adana Aina Aluwasi. Two million black victims of Americanism are waking up and they're gaining a new political consciousness, becoming politically mature. And as they become, uh, develop this political maturity, they're able to see the recent trends in these uh, political elections. They see that the whites are so evenly divided that every time they vote, uh, the race is so close, they have to go back and count the votes all over again. And that, that, which means that any block any minority that has a block of votes that stick together is in a strategic position. Either way you go, that's who gets it. You're, you're in a position to determine who go to the White House and who stay in the doghouse. You're the one who has that power. You can keep Johnson in Washington, D.C., or you can send him back to his Texas cotton patch. You're the one who sent Kennedy to Washington. You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. The, when you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? 
The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years. And all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they brought it up and gotten it out of the way, and now they bring up you. And now they bring up you. You put them first, and they put you last. Because you're a chump. A political chump. In Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives, there are 257 who are Democrats. Only 177 are Republicans. In the Senate, there are 67 uh, Democrats. Only 33 are Republicans. The party that you back controls two-thirds of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and still they can't keep their promise to you, because you're a chump. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. they come up with. They try and pass the buck to the Dixiecrats. Now back during the days when you were blind, deaf, and dumb, ignorant, politically immature, naturally you went along with that. But today as your eyes come open and you develop political maturity, you're able to see and think for yourself. And you can see that a Dixiecrat is nothing but a Democrat in disguise. You look at the structure of the uh, government that controls this country. It's controlled by 16 senatorial committees and 20 congressional committees. Of the 16 senatorial committees that run the government, 10 of them are in the hands of Southern segregationists. Of the 20 congressional committees that run the government, 12 of them are in the hands of Southern segregationists. And they're going to tell you and me that the South... people, my friends, welcome to a two-hour special of the Mind Beneath the School, and that's how we starting it. That's how we starting it, and before I even, I even get into it and go even what the show is, you know, we got to do our libation and and pay homage to the ancestors because we, they, the ancestors is really going to be the, the stars of this show uh, today. We call upon our ancestors far and near, fathers of our fathers, mothers of our mothers, to bear witness to what we have done and by their example to continue to inspire us toward reclaiming our African minds, generating our African spirit, liberating our homeland, and reclaiming our greatness as a people. We pour this libation to bring into our midst their venerable African spirit, radiating their great wisdom, courage, dedication, and unyielding commitment to victory by any means necessary. It is in this honor of our Creator, our ancestors, our children, and their children that we pour this libation. For the Creator and the various manifestations of the Creative Spirit, we pour libation. For our esteemed ancestors who laid the foundation for human civilization and who provided the wisdom 
by which we live and the models by which our lives are guided. We pour libation. For our esteemed ancestors who have suffered the atrocities and horrors of the Maafa and yet demonstrated the victorious power of the African spirit against adversity by maintaining their dignity no matter the cost, we pour libation. And for those ancestors who survived and made it possible for us to be here today and to continue on their valiant struggle for African liberation and vindication, we pour libation. And finally, for our children and their children and future generations of Africans to come, that they too in their time will vindicate our race from all adversaries and continue to imprint upon the world the great genius of the African spirit and humanity, we pour libation. May the venerable African spirit engulf this occasion to reaffirm our African-centered spirit. It is done. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. All right. Welcome, everyone who is here with me this evening to the mind beneath the school. We're going to look at the short walk from school to prison, part two. I started off with that heavy thing. First of all, it just it 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 just it gets me started uh, about Malcolm uh, uh, using Malcolm's speech about the uh, politics of Africans in America. What everybody should be wondering is why does that sound so familiar? Why is it that we are going back something like? 50 years, and it seems so familiar. And the reason is because 50 years, and we're still in the same place. We are still doing the same thing. Now, before I get started with the with the, with the the show and show you exactly where I'm going with this, I'm going to do something very uh, personal. You know, uh, when I was a child, I've been a Democrat my whole life. I was raised a Democrat. I was a Democrat when I was five years old at my grandmother's knee. You know, um, her neighborhood was the neighborhood that put Shirley Chisholm into office, the first black woman uh, uh, in Congress, a U.S. representative. And uh, that ancestor uh, was from from the uh, uh, district in Brooklyn. And my grandmother was very proud, worked with her. You know, they weren't, like, friends or anything, but she worked tirelessly to put uh, Representative Chisholm in office, Ancestor Chisholm in office. And after she was elected, okay, uh, years later, uh, we met, met, not years later, about a, maybe, I don't know, maybe about a year later, we met at this function. You know, my grandmother was a club woman, which I guess is how I became a club woman. But anyway, she's belonged to all these organizations. And one was the uh, Negro Women's, uh, Negro Professional Women of America, I believe it was called. And they were hosting this event for uh, um, uh, the head of the Ford Foundation, uh, who uh, was a black man also. His name escapes me right now. But he was the first black man head of the Ford Foundation. He was given a function for him. And um, my uh, uh, Shirley Chisholm and her husband were there. And uh, I I got their autograph and everything, and I still have it to this day. 
And the first thing that she asked me, you know, expecting really my grandmother to answer, but, you know, I had been trained, you know, people don't understand back in the day when you were a child, you knew exactly what to say, when to say it, and when to shut up. And uh, she asked me, was I a, uh, Franklin Thomas was his name, and Franklin Thomas was head of the Ford Foundation, that's who it was for. Um, and she said, uh, she leaned over, you know, and everything, and I was, I was maybe about 10 at the time. And she said, uh, are you a Democrat? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, good girl. You know, and it was the way that I answered, you know, and that was all I said because, you know, I really wasn't supposed to say too much. And, um, and, 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 and it was true. I was a Democrat. I couldn't tell you what a Democrat was. I could tell you who Democrats were. I could tell you the people who were Democrats. Yeah, I, I could tell you all about the history of Democrats. I couldn't tell you exactly what that meant, other than that Democrats were for black people and black people were for Democrats. And when I was old enough, I was the vote Democrat. And it seemed like always these particular points in my life were, you know, uh, 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 milestones when I made my first vote, cast my first vote was in 1976. I was my first year of college. And I was very proud and everything, you know, it was the middle of the 70s. Everything had pretty much died down, but you still had that spirit. You know, I still had that Brooklyn spirit that, you know, that, that Panther and, and you know, uh, 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 the, the black movement and everything, you know. So uh, I, I cast my vote thinking that somehow or another they were connected. And, of course, uh, it was uh, Jimmy Carter who was the president that I voted for, and and he won. You know, so that was a victory for me, you know, and I, I felt really proud about it. And I, I voted every time. Didn't make any difference. Now, as you know, the next couple of times, of course, uh, the Democrats lost badly to Reagan twice. So, you know, that was kind of, you know, and then we went on to Clinton. And do you see these, I, I, I know this because they're embedded in my, in, in my, almost in my soul. And it was a vote that I gave, okay, for 40, almost 40 years. I'm going on 50, yeah, 40 years. I have, Democrats have had my vote. And Malcolm is right, I was a chump. Because I voted with no agenda, not asking for anything. I'm giving you, I'm giving you. I never asked anything of this party because the assumption was I was always going to get whatever it was I was supposed to get. Whatever whatever that agenda was and I agreed with, you know, big government, the, the whole thing, uh, 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 taking care of the people, you know, the Democrats are for the people, for the poor, you know, all those great programs. Of, uh, of that Roosevelt, which is really where all this this love fest for the Democrats started in the first place, you know. And 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 and, and don't get me wrong, you know the people of Roosevelt, Franklin Delano, I'm talking about, you know. And after the war, and he started Social Security, you know, it wasn't called the welfare system, but actually he did for people who could not uh, afford to take care of themselves. You know, we were we were never going to have a depression again. All of those socialist, quote-unquote, programs that were started after the war, 
Okay, so we're talking about after World War II that we're started. It was started by Franklin Delano Roosevelt and, of course, his, his wife Eleanor doing everything that she could for for African Americans at the time. And, and that's really where the great love fest that Africans had for the Democrats. Okay, before that, basically black people were Republicans, remember, the party of Lincoln. And so we stayed loyal for 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 years. We never questioned. I am here today to say that I am questioning. I am here to say that I am no longer going to be a chump, and a, and a, and because I I want everybody to understand I'm I'm Mama Donna is blaming herself. I am putting me first. I have been a chump, and I have been a traitor to the race, and I will no longer be that. I am no longer giving my vote away. Okay, now you may say, how do you say that, Mama? And, and it's been we just had a black president for eight years. Let me now. Tavis Smiley almost had his house burned down for going against Obama, but you know what? I'm willing to risk it because the the difference between me and Tavis Smiley is that he said what I'm getting ready to say at the beginning of Obama's tenure. I'm saying it at the end. Eight years. It's been 2016 to be eight years. And finally, and I posted it on Facebook, finally he's just getting around to things that that Africans born in America find important. Eight years and towards the end of his tenure, this is when some of our agenda is being addressed. Now you may say, well, you know, better late than never. I don't. Because in the beginning, he always knew he had this vote. He knew he had my vote. I'm going to go back, and and before I even go there with what he knew, during the early 60s there was, because I'm going to go back there again, because in order, and we have to do a Sankofa here, in order for us to see what we're getting ready to walk into, we have to look back. That's what's the other thing that's wrong. We never look back. We must look back to see what we have done in order to see where it is that we're going. In the 1960s in North Carolina, there was a there was a Klansman named Bob Jones. Give me give me a minute, okay? Bob Jones, he he was he was it. He had and during the early 60s. He had built the Klan in North Carolina up to over 10,000 Klansmen. They were huge, huger than they were during a a Reconstruction. He had built them up. And he made a speech, and he said something that I, I think is important. He said, everybody has somebody to speak for them. He said, you know, the, the, the colors, and he didn't say colors, but I'm going to go as low as I could go, have the NAACP, which is true. The Jews have the B'nai Barif organization group, which is true. He said, but nobody has, you know, nobody speaks for the white man. Now, he didn't even think that the government spoke for the white man. He said, but the Klan is going to speak for the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male. That's what he said. 
Now, out of all that, the most important thing that he said, you know, because they died out eventually, but the most important thing that he said is that everybody had a organization that represented their agenda. And at that time, we did. We always had an organization that represented our agenda. And it didn't, it didn't really make any difference. We, we always had an agenda. It didn't make any difference if you were talking about the times, if you were talking about the, the ones in the middle, you know, the, the, uh, the moderate blacks, or if you were talking about the militants. Our agenda always was equal civil rights and treatment. The, the, the way that we wanted to go about getting it was different. But our agendas in all of those capacities were basically the same. We basically wanted the same thing. Now I'm 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 getting there. Just 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 follow along with me. When we went to elect Obama, we had an agenda. It was the same thing that it was during the days of the NAACP and CORE and, and, and the Black Panthers, okay, whomever, and, and, and uh, uh, the SCLC, okay, uh, uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, all of those organizations, you know, and you had great people. Okay, you didn't just have Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. You had, you had great women, Ella Baker. Uh, Fannie Lou Hammer, uh, we had a uh, 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 farmer. We had we had we had uh, 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 great African minds and leaders. Okay, of all walks of life, not just educated, but grassroots. And from those grassroots, we 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 made great leaders. Whitney Young. Okay, A. Philip Randolph, Roy Wilkins. Okay, it was it was tireless. Then of course you do did have militants. You had Stokely Carmichael, you had H. Rat Brown, Huey P. Newton. Okay, uh, 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 Eldridge Cleaver, of course Malcolm. Who, 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 whose philosophy and all their philosophies were embedded with with great men like like Marcus Garvey. Okay, the great moderates, the, 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 their, their beliefs were embedded in the in the minds of of W. Du Bois. Okay, and and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and so on, and 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 these were great men and women, and we had all of them to look up to. Angela Davis was just coming out. Okay, the the, uh, 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 the soul dad brothers out there in California, all of these people were leaders, but the the and we were led, okay, by with objectives, and our basic objective, and it was a main objective: equal civil rights and treatment. All across the board, any matter you talking about education, you talking about economics. Housing, we want it equal, everything to be equal. <clears throat> now, when Obama was running, we still had, once again, we came together with one objective. 
But it wasn't an agenda. It was just an objective. And the objective was to put him in office. And we were successful. As usual. When we as a collective come together with everybody on the same mindset and everybody thinking the same way, we are successful. The civil rights movement was successful. Didn't last, but it was successful. The Black Panthers were successful. Didn't last, but they were successful. For 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 whatever time that you want to put success on them, they were successful. Okay, the the, the Muslims. Okay, with 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 uh, Malcolm X, they were successful. Our agenda was being addressed, and not only that, it, it was it was coming to fruition. When we got together and said we all put this black man into office, we were successful. We didn't do it with Jesse. Oh, see how far. It, even when uh, uh, Shirley Chisholm, the representative I was just talking about, she ran for president. And though she she didn't win any, any states, she was in contention, and her voice was being heard. Okay? Uh, 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 when uh, uh, Reverend Sharpton ran, he was never in he wasn't he didn't win any states, but he was in contention. And then there was Jesse Jackson, and we and and I and and he won some states, and came close in others. Then of course, and what happened to Jesse? Jesse made a, a statement to another black man who was a reporter. I remember it like it was yesterday, and called New York Jaime Town. And the brother, he figured he talking to a brother, right? Brother gonna keep it safe. Brother, shoot, he, he he had the news of the century, and and plastered it on every newspaper in the world, and that took care of Jesse. Do I remember the reporter's name? No, but I remember the incident. You see, because the reporter was insignificant, he thought that somehow or another that would make him memorable, and it didn't. All you did was destroy something that was being built. So this time, all of us that remembered all of that, all of these people, we did everything correctly, didn't we? We knew we didn't even need Obama to tell us what to do and what not to do. Everything that he did was acceptable. And look at some of the things, and I am included in this. I don't want you ever to think, that I am separating myself from the mass. I was caught up in it also. First he had to drop Jeremiah Wright. This is his pastor, his preacher, the man who took him in and taught him everything that he needed to know along with two other brothers, I I forget their names also, that were in the uh, mix of the uh, political parties in Illinois and specifically Chicago. And and Jeremiah might write knew him as a single man, knew married him, baptized his children. Obama sat in that man's pulpit, his pew, because he was a regular. It wasn't like he went like every other, you know, every every other month. He was there regularly. 
religiously, if I may. And he had to get on the stage with Hillary Clinton and denounce his affiliation with Jeremiah Wright because Jeremiah Wright didn't hold you ain't never know what 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 Reverend Wright was gonna come out of his mouth and he told the truth from that pulpit. He told the truth. You know, and, and, and he meant it. God damn America. And boy that resounded and that sound bite lasted for about two weeks, but Obama got rid of it. And slowly, you know, and then he came back around. Second thing that he did, and I think this is when Tavis, and no matter I don't think, this is when Tavis Smiley kind of went on his rant, and he started saying, maybe we need to look at this. And by then, it was too late. Obama had won three or four states by then and and was looking like a president. And he said, even with his little flag, remember all that stink they made about him not wearing the, the little American flag on his lapel? And he had to wear his little, put his little flag on like all the rest of the white boys up on the hill. Anyway, I can't. And uh, he didn't go to the NAACP National Convention. I don't know, y'all the younger may not remember that. But he didn't go. He sent his wife. Tavis Smiley said that was an insult. It was a slap in the face to Africans born in America. He said, why can't he go? He said, so we can give him, and this is, a, this, is, this is the quote, we can establish what our agenda is, our agenda. Once again, it was the NAACP that was holding the agenda, and he didn't go, he said to his wife. And we said, Tavis, shut up. That's what we said. That's what we said. People that attacked his mom and everything said, shut up, Tavis. We getting ready to have a black president, and you getting ready to ruin everything. And he he, he said, okay. Oh, y'all going to be like that? Fine. He said, but something is very wrong here, and we ain't listen. And it was okay. I didn't listen. I want a black president. So did everybody else. People, black people, they ain't never vote in their lives. That was older than me, was registering to vote. And, of course, he won the presidency. We had accomplished our objective. And then that was it. I, I, Somebody helped me. Okay, we got Obamacare. And I got that. I was on board with that. I would, you know, yes, health care. Okay, we can start with health care. That was good. You know, let's start with health care. Everybody get health care. All these kids, black kids, you know, because it, it ain't not an African in America could tell me that they didn't have that same 60s agenda on their mind and was teaching it to our youth, okay? That was the same agenda cause, because, remember, as I said, we, we, it, 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 we were successful at first, but it died down, and then it died out. I'm surprised that we, as badly as it died out, I'm surprised that we still allowed to sit on the front of the bus. But anyway, anyway, once he became president, you know, Obama came, and all of a sudden, you know, he had other things going on. People were getting shot. You know, there was a lot of violence going on during his tenure. 
in all these towns and everything like that, people were open, people, people, at first it started off, it was white folks that was getting shot, children, kids. I don't know how many times this man had to go. He went with Connecticut, you know. Well, I, I forget there was like two others. What was it, Las Vegas or or or, or Nevada, wherever it was? And people were get and being gunned down. It was insane. First, you know, you figure well, you know, but he was fixing things slowly but surely. You know, the economy remember because we was Bush this ran us into the ground, and slowly but surely things got to be fixed and everything for the country. And Sam met some of us, you know, was, things were getting a little bit better, but for the majority of us, we was used to not having much, so we were good, and he was doing what he was supposed to do. But then there was a lot of disrespect. There was a lot of things going on with this with this presidency that had never happened before. But we had a black president. People were really coming out and and being racist. And then there was Trayvon Martin. And then all of a sudden it got really ugly. It was always ugly. Thank God for black youth. Thank God. And not like I'm saying Trayvon Martin, but thank God Black youth got together on these college campuses and said Black Lives Matter. Because if it hadn't been for them, there wouldn't have been no agenda. But then again, the youth, and I remember when I was young, have always been the ones right out there in the front. Let's make sure that we're clear here. It was the Children's March when we saw all of those kids be uh, 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 uh Folks being gunned down and, and hosed in the 60s. They were children. They were our children. Elementary school, all the way up to high school, to college. They were the ones that were being hosed and bitten by dogs and fighting off the police. And in and, and, and some instances, cause it, it was just like how our youth would be right now, taunting the police because they had no fear. And they were involved. They said, Mom and Dad, y'all go to work. We understand. We could do this. And they met at the church, and they marched. And teachers opened up the doors and the, and the, and the windows to the school and turned their backs and let them kids march out. And once again, it's the youth. They said, enough is enough. That our lives do matter. So here we are, 2016, Obama's last year, eight years, eight years, and other than the youth movement of Black Lives Matter, and you make no doubt about it, that was a youth movement. I ain't had nothing to do with that. I joined on. Nothing has been has been addressed that we wanted. Nothing. Until now. And it was exactly how Malcolm had said, till the end. You put them first, and now we're last. And in order for me to make sense of this, I must put 
Obama with all the rest of them Democrats because that's exactly what happened. It, it, it from from after Roosevelt, Kennedy put me last. Yes, Kennedy put me last. It wasn't until black people were dying in the street. Bloody Sunday. And he saw it on television. I think his brother Bobby cared more than he cared. That he sent the troops in there. Black people have been dying. And he finally sent the troops in there. Uh, 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 Lyndon Johnson. You saw Selma. Lyndon Johnson, another one. Waiting until the last minute for the Civil Rights Bill. Once Bloody Sunday, that's when Bloody Sunday happened, and he was president. People dying in the street. That's when he decided once again last, and he never and he didn't run again. Bobby Kennedy, like I said, cared more. That's why they shot his behind and got rid of him and put Nixon in office, and that took care of that. All of the laws that were passed that squashed and suppressed and ultimately destroyed the Black Panthers was done during the, uh, uh, what was it, four, five, six years, because remember he got impeached, uh, 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 that Nixon was in office, and that took care of that. That was that. White American had enough. Once again, white America has had enough. And now you see the people that are running. They cheered Donald Trump like he was the Messiah. This clown gets goes into a church and says, I'm a piss poor Christian, but I'm on your side. And they cheer him. Be afraid, because I am. But I am more afraid of the fact that I am not giving the Democrats my vote like that. Because it's going to take something stronger than 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 Hillary Clinton, and I understand Bernie, and and yes, I am a democratic socialist. I am right there with him. It's going to take something more than him. It's going to take something more than what we are showing up with right now. Okay, because even with all that fire and brimstone that Bernie Sanders coming out with. That Jewish man is going to have to come out with a whole lot more than good songs from the 60s. Notice how everybody always go back to the 60s when they want a decent song and want to make a point about, you know, let's love one another and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, really? A lot more. I don't know who it is. I don't know where they are. But I have not seen my candidate yet. Now, on the other side of this, because I, 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 I want to bring this all home now and talk about what does this have to do with education? Everything, everything, the state that we are in right now in Philadelphia is because of all of this that, 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 that I have just brought home. It didn't just start yesterday. It didn't just start a year ago. This has been continuous, and we are in this state, and it isn't just Philly. 
if you haven't noticed, cities are being murdered, like Flint, Michigan. I'm checking my water every day. New York, Chicago, Atlanta, Los Angeles, everywhere. You name any city, Washington, D.C., you name any city that has a large number of Africans, and I'm going to tell you something, that their educational system is in question. Philly, as I said last week, went to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is, is, is having big, big problems with their educational system. How are you going to go to a place that is as unsuccessful as you are to find answers? We're going to start off. At first, you know, I, I was upset because I had a book coming in that I had ordered. I was going to read from it, but I don't have to. And before I do, I'm going to discuss this, brother, because everybody else is. I don't know where all the hate is coming from, Dr. Uh, Umar Johnson. And I, I had to do a colleague, call a colleague and find out because I, I know this guy, and I, he was so familiar, and then I remembered where we knew him from. But uh, I wanted to play an excerpt. I don't have to read anything. I keep forgetting that I'm in the land or in the time of 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 ease when it comes time to stuff like this. So I don't have to uh read it. I can play it. And we're gonna look at the first chapter, okay, because this is important. And I know I know we don't like to read. Okay, I, I understand that. I'm not asking you to read, I'm just asking you to listen. The first chapter of Carter Woodson, Dr. Carter Woodson's book, The Miseducation of the Negro, and then we're going to slowly but surely move into uh, education, the educational system, and maybe some of the fixes that need to be done, and ultimately Mama Donna's 10-point plan for the education system and how I intend on presenting it uh, eventually uh, to the city of Philadelphia. Welcome to the Amentum presentation of the original 1933 unabridged edition of The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Narrated by Roderick Pryor, produced and edited by M. Sarah, music by Kevin McLeod, percussion by Indigo Smith, with introduction provided by Valeria Smith. And now, The Miseducation of the Negro. Chapter 1. The Seat of the Trouble The educated Negroes have the attitude of contempt toward their own people because in their own as well as in their mixed schools, Negroes are taught to admire the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, and the Teuton, and to despise the African. Of the hundreds of Negro high schools recently examined by an expert in the United States Bureau of Education, only 18 offer a course taking up the history of the Negro. And in most of the Negro colleges and universities where the Negro is thought of, the race is studied only as a problem or dismissed as of little consequence. For example, an officer of a Negro university, thinking that an additional course on the Negro should be given there, 
called upon a Negro doctor of philosophy of the faculty to offer such work. He promptly informed the officer that he knew nothing about the Negro. He did not go to school to waste his time that way. He went to be educated in a system which dismisses the Negro as a non-entity. At a Negro summer school two years ago, a white instructor gave a course on the Negro, using for his text a work which teaches that whites are superior to the blacks. When asked by one of the students why he used such a textbook, the instructor replied that he wanted them to get that point of view. Even schools for Negroes, then, are places where they must be convinced of their inferiority. The thought of the inferiority of the Negro is drilled into him in almost every class he enters and in almost every book he studies. If he happens to leave school after he masters the fundamentals, before he finishes high school or reaches college, he will naturally escape some of the bias and may recover in time to be of service to his people. Practically all of the successful Negroes in this country are of the uneducated type or of that of Negroes who have had no formal education at all. The large majority of the Negroes who have put on the finishing touches of our best colleges are all but worthless in the development of their people. If after leaving school they have the opportunity to give out to Negroes what traducers of the race would like to have it learn, such persons may thereby earn a living at teaching or preaching what they have been taught, but they never become a constructive force in the development of the race. The so-called school, then, becomes a questionable factor in the life of this despised people. As another has well said, to handicap a student by teaching him that his black face is a curse and that his struggle to change his condition is hopeless is the worst sort of lynching. It kills one's that. Okay, that was a piece of the chapter one. I'm going to play the uh, play the second half. Uh, I have callers on hold. I know one of these callers is my cousin. Uh, Timothy Stewart, uh, I, I I didn't get a chance to really introduce. Uh, I he and I were bantering back and forth on on Facebook, and I asked him. I said, "Why don't you come on my show?" And uh, you know, he wanted to know what he had to talk about. He is like a a a, a, a sensei, a, a has his own dojo. He is like a master of every single kind of martial art there is. He's been. As long as I've been going back, you know, he was he goes back just as far uh after he moved into California uh with um, martial arts and and has been bestowed some of the highest uh, honors that you could be that you could have and he has been so influential on so many African children out there in California that I just I wanted to come on and and talk to uh us for a minute. So I have I have two calls here. Good evening. Hello. Hello. Hi, cuz. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Good, good, good. I've been listening to the first part of your show. Oh, great. I, I, what, did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, very interesting. I I um, think I heard uh, my Aunt Lorraine and your mother in your voice somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, Probably. I definitely heard my mother in there. Oh, absolutely, no doubt about it. As a matter of fact, you know, I was talking about a time you remember when uh, 
Shirley Chisholm was was uh, voted into office, and she was from Nana's neighborhood. And I was I was you know about how we were born and raised Democrats. You know we never had a a say so too much in, in any of that, and how we were raised to believe all the you know we didn't really know what a Democrat was. We just knew that we were one. So I just I was just gave an introduction, and I I wanted you to. Just talk a little bit about what you're doing out there in 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 California and um uh about your your dojo and and um how it influences African children out there okay well first uh let me let me in all modesty and, and some some uh some truth here I'm not a master of every martial art oh, <laughs> i hold a, it seems like i hold an, i hold an eighth degree black belt and Compton-Tay-Do, and that gives me the title Advanced Senior Master. And I hold a fifth-degree black belt in Taiji Jitsu, which qualifies me as a master in that art. And both of those styles are taught by two of the four Soki in the United States. So I'm master-ranked under two of the four highest-ranking martial artists in the country. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's in modesty, right. Okay. Well, you, you said I was a master of every martial art, so I just oh, okay. Say, no, I'm just, sorry, I, I didn't. I didn't realize. I, I didn't write. I didn't want to put you out there. Well, the thing is that I've met people who claim to be masters of ten or twenty different martial arts, and most martial artists dismiss them as the fools that they are. So, in okay. order for me, if I if I intend to be taken seriously by people, I want to be honest with them. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. True. You know, um. What we do, my 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 school is called Azuba Hakurati, and I my the founder of the system, Robert Murphy, founded the school in 1972. I joined him in 1975, so I go almost back to the beginning with him. Um, his his vision, uh, which is one of the reasons I stayed with him so long, his vision was that the, the kids in the neighborhood needed martial arts more than say some of the people in wealthier parts of town that could pay ridiculous amounts of money to go to a dojo made of chrome and mirrors and, you know, get a good sweat going on. He realized that the kids in Compton and Linwood and black areas needed, first of all, self-defense, because tough neighborhoods are tough neighborhoods, and if you want to get home to and from school in the dojo, you may have to physically defend yourself. That's just a fact of, of real life. Okay. The, the, second, the second thing he realized was that, yeah, the little plastic trophies of tournaments are nice, but the traditional values that you get from martial arts, things like the ability to concentrate and focus on what's important to you or what needs to get done, those things have far more importance in someone's life over the length of their lifetime than does being able to punch and kick. Uh, one thing, one point I do want to make that a lot of non-martial artists may not know, because a lot of, I, I ran into this just uh, oh, earlier this month, um, a lot of people think that I'm sorry, Asians do not advance martial arts. Eh. That's, a, that's a misunderstanding a lot of people have. Okay, uh, no, they they didn't. Uh, actually, the first, the earliest written records we have of systemized martial arts uh, go back to about 4,000 years east, which, mm -hmm. in case no one's said a map lately, is in Africa. <laughs> Just a little wow. Note okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's not something that's been hidden. That knowledge has been out there for some time. Back in the mid '60s, uh, Masataka Oyama 
wrote in his Mastering Karate, the first opening pages talk about the history of martial arts and note the Egyptian connection. Uh, just mm. a couple of years ago, a brother, Nigel Benz, wrote a, a book called uh, Nuba Wrestling that really laid it out very nicely and really detailed the development of the ancient African martial arts. That's where mm. began. That's the earliest records. Then India, then China. Isn't that you know, to give you a time frame, 4,000 years B.C. in Egypt, 744 A.D., uh, the Buddhist monk Dhamma went to um, uh, China. So <laughs> you can see the span in there. It's not even close. Mm. Yes, and absolutely. Yet, you know, and yet the marketing in this country is it's an, it's an Asian thing. It's an Asian thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hollywood thing. did that. Exactly, just as they sold white or golden Egyptian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 So interesting. So you and you bring all of that. You, of course, I, oh, yeah. I'm sure that you teach all of that in your in your oh. dojo. By all means, in fact, one of one of the questions on their first uh, belt test to get from white belt to yellow belt is where did martial arts, where did the oldest martial arts come from? Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. So we make sure. Early on, they're, they're acquainted with the fact that their heritage is not this this thing that happened in this country. Their right. heritage goes back way before what they've been taught in school that, oh, uh, um, African history in the Americas starts with slavery. Uh, what? <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. You know, you know once again, that, that miseducation, that's, that, you know, it, and it's important because I am sure that that gives your students a sense of themselves. More so in that, uh, well, also to add to that, what we've done in 2000, 2000 I think it was, we changed the name of the style from uh, Eyes of the Hawk School of Okinawa and Kobudo. We changed the system, system's name to Compton Tei Do. Uh-huh. What, that actually, what that actually means, Compton is the city, the right. teaching influence so many years. It's a, uh, and that actually means, translates as the way of the hands of Compton. So what we did was we named our system after the city of Compton. And the what city is- of Compton responded. The Compton City Council in 2002 um, passed a uh, resolution saying that we could be called the official martial art of Compton. So we are both named after and recognized by this city. Wonderful. Exactly. That's uh, another way of, of letting the students know that this is yours. This is not something exactly. secondhand. This is yours. Exactly. Exactly. And take ownership of it. Exactly. And take ownership and, of it. Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, tell me. So you told about the past. So what are you doing now? You you got that award. I want to hear about the uh, uh, the Korean award that you received. What is that about? And tell me about the future. Well, let's see, uh, January 1st, uh, first of this month, I received a blood and sun belt from uh-huh. a uh, grandmaster of Warang Do, which is a Korean art. His, uh, the grandmaster is Ethan Nelson. And um, it, it is unusual in a couple of ways. Normally, that belt would be handed out to uh, people older than I. It's usually, I'm only 58, thank you. Right. <laughs> but usually, that belt is handed out to. 60 to 65-year-old martial artist. So I'm a little young to have conceived it. 
uh, originally the fact there is a an honor from a Korean system, and my system is based on both Okinawa and Lingualama, which is Polynesian, neither of which are Korean. So it's right. a very much a gesture of very, very high respect. Wow. Well, uh, nice. to get that award. Nice, uh, nice. And what does that do for you now? How does, does that, in, you know, uh, improve your dojo? I mean, does that, you know, make it larger than what it already was? No, no. It's, okay. uh, our dojo is small. We have maybe at any time less than a dozen suits. Okay. Why this is, why, I mean, we charge $75 a year. Oh. Now, in case you're not up on rates, most schools charge yeah. <laughs> somewhere near a month. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And yet, a lot of parents simply do not bring their kids to us. Why? I don't know. Maybe they're okay. thinking you get what you pay for. Maybe they're thinking, I don't know what they're thinking. Maybe they're thinking they've got to hurry up and get to the nail shop. <laughs> that, okay, I can't. I'm not going to even play with you like that. Yes, but that that could be. But go ahead. It, well, uh, unfortunately, it's, uh, I have seen this over the 30-plus years that I've been teaching, that the students okay. who do best are the ones whose parents are involved. They bring them to the dojo. They sit there and watch the class. They ask me questions after class. What does he or she, where's my kid need to work on? They get involved. Those students progress quickly. They progress mm-hmm. well. Those students who get dropped off by their own parents are like, you're the babysitter. They're going to drop you off and drop the kid off and go do whatever they're going to do. Do, right. Like, you know, those students overall tend not to do as well for the simple fact they don't have the support. Right. Exactly. Nobody, exactly. Nobody can support a child like the parents can. The parents exactly. cannot say, well, the teachers have to do it, the sensei has to do it. No, 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 no. You are the parent. The parents have to do it. Everybody exactly. else is part of the team. You as a teacher, exactly. you're part of the team, yes. But the parent right. has to be the parent. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'm sure you the same thing in, in, in school, the exact same thing. When the parents are involved, the students are going to progress. Right. If the parents treat it like, you know, a daycare, it's not going to happen. Or if it does, exactly. Exactly. When they treat it like a day, wow, I wish I had said that. I couldn't have said that better. My, when you treat exactly like a daycare, drop them off and pick them up, then, then it's, they're not going to be as successful as if you were actually involved. Exactly. When you come in and you want to know what their grades are, what can I do to make this better, so on and so forth. Exactly. That is just, I, I, I couldn't think of anything. And you see now, this whole thing wasn't hurtful. It didn't hurt. I just wanted you to talk about what, and, and I learned so much. You know, I never knew, and I knew that you were involved. I never knew that martial arts came from Africa, though, if somebody put a gun up to my head, I probably would have picked that first. <laughs> I well, probably would have said that. In one of the earlier civilizations, they invented quite a lot of civilization. Right. <laughs> exactly. So that's why it would have been my first choice. So what yeah. do you have planned for the future? Uh, in terms of the dojo, we plan yeah. to keep on going. Um, I've got uh, students uh at white, white belt, yellow belt, green belt, that are just, you know, they're progressing. I just got to keep uh, showing up every Saturday, and I'm doing my part. Uh, 
And those who do their part flourish, and, you know, those who don't, well, they make another opening for another student to join us. Right. So, so right. Michael, we're, we have a website at, uh, um, if I can put a plug in, eyesofthehawks.org. Yes, eyesofthehawks.org. Eyesofthehawks.org. Uh, and I'm going to put that out there and, and, and put that on the website also. Uh, Timothy, of course, you know, we care really because how long has it been since you and I have actually sat down to talk? It's been too long. And <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> But I am so happy, and thank you so much for, for, for coming on and just, you know, ex- explaining so much. And I want you to come back again. And bring, and that guy that I was going back and forth with, have him call up, too. That guy that you were going back and forth, you mean my teacher, Robert Murphy, the founder of Eyes uh, of the Hawk Yeah. Wait a minute. Are you talking about Robert Murphy, the one that I met? Yes. So the yeah. elder grand Robert Murphy, yes. Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't know him like that. Tell him I said hi. Thank you. So and I will be talking to him on Facebook again, you know, hopefully one day, and it'll be soon. I'll be getting out there to California. That would be great. Yeah. Thank you, Timothy, so much. I appreciate it. And, and keep doing you what you're doing, and I'll be talking to you soon. Uh, you keep doing what you're doing. Ah, okay, I'll try. And the only time it'll stop is when somebody takes my voice. <laughs> well, they're going to have a fight over it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Listen, love you, sweetheart. Thank you. Love you, All right. Bye. Bye-bye. That was, I, and I am proud to say that was my cousin, uh, Timothy, uh, who has just been doing a wonderful job with children out there for, as you heard, 40 years, teaching them where martial arts come from. You know, it came from Africa. If somebody had put a gun to my head, I would have chose Africa. I would have chose Africa and and just saying my prayers because I would have thought I was wrong. But, you see, this is exactly what Carter Woodson was talking about, our miseducation. This is what it means to be miseducated, to be misguided to be misled into believing that not only aren't we important, okay, but our history isn't important. And that Eurocentric way of thinking is the most important thing that you could ever want in your life. And anything, anything that you could have possibly have thought of that came out of Africa is not worth knowing. I want to continue playing on uh, the miseducation of the Negro, uh, and then because we ran, I just I I was so fascinated, and I was so happy. First of all, to hear from my my cousin, but um, I want to uh, continue on that thought with the miseducation of the Negro. And when I come back from that, we're going to bring this back home. Okay, we have been to Compton. Okay, we've been to Harlem listening to Malcolm. Now we got to come home now. We got to come back to Philly, okay, and and bring this on home. And on the other side, we're going to talk about how certain kinds of education, uh, specifically special education, okay, is, is, is being used in the same racist format as, as, as welfare, as Social Security, Medicare, the whole thing, the whole thing. Another good idea that has been used to keep 
good African children away from a decent education. presentation of the original 1933 unabridged edition of the Miss Education of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson, narrated by Roderick Pryor, produced and edited by M. Sarah, music by Kevin McLeod, percussion by Indigo Smith, with introduction provided by Valeria Smith. And now, the Miss Education of the Negro. Chapter 1. The Seat of the Trouble The educated Negroes have the attitude of contempt toward their own people because in their own as well as in their mixed schools, Negroes are taught to admire the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, and the Teuton, and to despise the African. Of the hundreds of Negro high schools recently examined by an expert in the United States Bureau of Education, only 18 offer a course taking up the history of the Negro, and in most of the Negro colleges and universities where the Negro is thought of, the race is studied only as a problem or dismissed as of little consequence. For example, an officer of a Negro university, thinking that an additional course on the Negro should be given there, called upon a Negro doctor of philosophy of the faculty to offer such work. He promptly informed the officer that he knew nothing about the Negro. He did not go to school to waste his time that way. He went to be educated in a system which dismisses the Negro as a non-entity. At a Negro summer school two years ago, a white instructor gave a course on the Negro, using for his text a work which teaches that whites are superior to the blacks. When asked by one of the students why he used such a textbook, the instructor replied, that he wanted them to get that point of view. Even schools for Negroes, then, are places where they must be convinced of their inferiority. The thought of the inferiority of the Negro is drilled into him in almost every class he enters and in almost every book he studies. If he happens to leave school after he masters the fundamentals, before he finishes high school or reaches college, he will naturally escape some of the bias and may recover in time to be of service to his people. Practically all of the successful Negroes in this country are of the uneducated type or of that of Negroes who have had no formal education at all. The large majority of the Negroes who have put on the finishing touches of our best colleges are all but worthless in the development of their people. If after leaving school they have the opportunity to give out to Negroes what traducers of the race would like to have it learn, such persons may thereby earn a living at teaching or preaching what they have been taught, but they never become a constructive force in the development of the race. The so-called school, then, becomes a questionable factor in the life of this despised people. As another has well said, to handicap a student by teaching him that his black face is a curse and that his struggle to change his condition is hopeless is the worst sort of lynching. It kills one's aspirations and dooms him to vagabondage and crime. It is strange, then, that the friends of truth and the promoters of freedom have not risen up against the present propaganda in the schools and crushed it. This crusade is much more important than the anti-lynching movement. 
because there would be no lynching if it did not start in the schoolroom. Why not exploit, enslave, or exterminate a class that everybody is taught to regard as inferior? To be more explicit, we may go to the seat of the trouble. Our most widely known scholars have been trained in universities outside of the South. Northern and Western institutions, however, have had no time to deal with matters which concern the Negro especially. They must direct their attention to the problems of the majority of their constituents, and too often they have stimulated their prejudices by referring to the Negro as unworthy of consideration. Most of what these universities have offered as language, mathematics, and science may have served a good purpose, but much of what they have taught as economics, history, literature, religion, and philosophy is propaganda and cant that involved a waste of time and misdirected the Negroes thus trained. And even in the certitude of science or mathematics, it has been unfortunate that the approach to the Negro has been borrowed from a foreign method. For example, the teaching of arithmetic in the fifth grade in a backward county in Mississippi should mean one thing in the Negro school and a decidedly different thing in the white school. The Negro children, as a rule, come from the homes of tenants and peons who have to migrate annually from plantation to plantation, looking for light which they have never seen. The children from the homes of white planters and merchants live permanently in the midst of calculations, family budgets, and the like, which enable them sometimes to learn more by contact than the Negro can acquire in school. Instead of teaching such Negro children less arithmetic, they should be taught much more of it than the white children, for the latter attend a graded school consolidated by free transportation when the Negroes go to one-room rented hovels to be taught without equipment and by incompetent teachers educated scarcely beyond the eighth grade. In schools of theology, Negroes are taught the interpretation of the Bible worked out by those who have justified segregation and winked at the economic debasement of the Negro, sometimes almost to the point of starvation. Deriving their sense of right from this teaching, graduates of such schools can have no message to grip the people whom they have been ill-trained to serve. Most of such miseducated ministers, therefore, preach to benches while illiterate Negro preachers do the best they can in supplying the spiritual needs of the masses. In the schools of business administration, Negroes are trained exclusively in the psychology and economics of Wall Street and are therefore made to despise the opportunities to run ice wagons, push banana carts, and sell peanuts among their own people. Foreigners who have not studied economics but have studied Negroes take up this business and grow rich. In schools of journalism, Negroes are being taught how to edit such metropolitan dailies as the Chicago Tribune and the New York Times, which would hardly hire a Negro as a janitor. And when these graduates come to the Negro weeklies for employment, they are not prepared to function in such establishments, which, to be successful, must be built upon accurate knowledge of the psychology and philosophy of the Negro. When a Negro has finished his education in our schools, then, he has been equipped to begin the life of an Americanized or Europeanized white man. But before he steps from the threshold of his alma mater, he is told by his teachers that he must go back to his own people from whom he has been estranged by a vision of ideals which in his disillusionment he will realize that he cannot attain. He goes forth to play his part in life, 
but he must be both social and bisocial at the same time. While he is a part of the body politic, he is in addition to this a member of a particular race to which he must restrict himself in all matters social. While serving his country, he must serve within a special group. While being a good American, he must above all things be a good Negro. And to perform this definite function, he must learn to stay in a Negro's place. For the arduous task of serving a race thus handicapped, however, the Negro graduate has had little or no training at all. The people whom he has been ordered to serve have been belittled by his teachers to the extent that he can hardly find delight in undertaking what his education has led him to think is impossible. Considering his race as blank in achievement, then, he sets out to stimulate their imitation of others. The performance is kept up a while, but like any other effort at meaningless imitation, it results in failure. Facing this undesirable result, the highly educated Negro often grows sour. He becomes too pessimistic to be a constructive force and usually develops into a chronic fault finder or a complainant at the bar of public opinion. Often, when he sees that the fault lies at the door of the white oppressor whom he is afraid to attack, he turns upon the pioneering Negro who is at work doing the best he can to extricate himself from an uncomfortable predicament. In this effort to imitate, however, these educated people are sincere. They hope to make the Negro conform quickly to the standard of the whites and thus remove the pretext for the barriers between the races. They do not realize, however, that even if the Negroes do successfully imitate the whites, nothing new has thereby been accomplished. You simply have a larger number of persons doing what others have been doing. The unusual gifts of the race have not thereby been developed, and an unwilling world, therefore, continues to wonder what the Negro is good for. Carter G. Woodson, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, Chapter 1, The Miseducation of the Negro. And there was a lot in there, and uh, even though I didn't mean to repeat it, um, it bared repeated. It should have been repeated. Uh, the, the, the educational system here in Philadelphia now, look when this book was written. Once again, we are rehashing something that we have should have moved beyond. And yet this book is still relevant in the African born in America's education today. It is still relevant and still true. It isn't like we used it as a reference. Okay, we're we're using it almost as a blueprint, saying, "Well, you know, well, let's let's go back and, and take a look. How many times are we going to have to go back and take a look?" Okay, because it 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 is repetitious, and the reason why it's repetitious for the exact reasons that Doctor Woodson said. What you're doing is that you're rehashing, you are teaching Africans in a Eurocentric manner, to go back and teach other Africans in the same Eurocentric manner. And we have been doing this over and over. It's circular. So the, the more we keep doing this, we're going to come up with the same result. Einstein. Insanity is when you keep doing the same thing over and over again 
waiting for a different result and and hoping for a different result. Something has to change. Now, here in Philadelphia, what I have noticed, and, and I'm quite sure in any other major city, but this is the city that I teach in, this is the city that I know, okay, the majority of the teachers are white, 80%, and I'm, I I fluctuate when somebody may want to call in and and, and give a number, and, and a, a different number, but I believe 80%, it may be 70% of the teachers, 70, 80% of the teachers are white, 88% of the students in the uh, public school system, charter schools included, are black. Now, and 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 that number for African teachers born in America that are teaching in Philadelphia has decreased by 13% over the last 10 years. There has been a reduction. And I believe they have been systematically removed. You put them in a a impossible situation, you know, and it isn't like when, a, you know, a, 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 a white teacher is looking at this and saying, oh, my God, look what they're doing. No, you put an African there and they're saying, my God, look what we're doing to my children, our children. I no longer want to be a part of that. I could be doing something else, maybe to help, whereas I, I cannot help here. And I believe that they have been systematically driven out of, 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 of the educational system, whereas before it was what we did. Education is what we did. And when it was segregated, we did it best. When, in fact, when uh, 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 Carter Woodson, when we did Started, you know, and and we were starting to to know ourselves, okay, and 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 realize what a a rich uh, 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 heritage that we had, and we were sharing that in our own schools, historically black colleges and universities, okay, and high schools, and and junior highs and elementary schools. It has been found that when we were segregated. And we had our own. Okay, the textbooks was old, but the teacher wasn't. Okay, we needed paper, we needed pencils, but you you had the best thing in the world. You had a great teacher, and students were learning and were moving on. And not only that, but were graduating from colleges and building up black communities and supporting each other. I find that in my situation is is rather unique because I live in the same neighborhood of my kids. I think that's wonderful. Okay, I'm not I'm not I'm not inaccessible. Uh, 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 I take the same bus, you know, go to the same school, come home same way, and that's the way it was back in the beginning in the in the in the twenties and the thirties and the forties, the fifties. The doctor lived next to the to the butcher shop owner who lived next to the teacher who lived next to the fireman, and we were all in the same neighborhood. Everybody knew everybody else, and that created a distinction 
that nobody was better than anybody else. It wasn't until integration that all of that changed. It wasn't until the desire of what Malcolm said and, and, and everything that he's saying is coming to fruition, that you want to move into a white man's neighborhood, into his house, you know, that you want to be a part of what he... Why? And now that we have, this is what we have. This is what we have. And to make sure that it sticks, something new has been added. Now, I was listening to another radio show, and I, though I appreciate the opinion, I have to disagree. They were... They in 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 their own way they were defending special education and they once again say I as a special education teacher understand the importance of special education of course I do of course okay but many programs have been used against us the welfare program that I talked about and I'll continue to talk about. That was to help people coming back from the war. And somehow or another, it morphed into the welfare system that we have today. The Special Education Idea Act, okay, was enacted to help children who were different learners receive a quality education. That's basically it. They didn't, special education children don't learn a lot of times the same way others learn. Doesn't mean that they're, it doesn't mean that they're slow or anything like that. They are different learners. That's all. Most African children are. Let me say that again because that bears repeating. Most African children are. All of us are different. We learn differently. What do you mean, Mama? I mean, we are an oral race. We are a spoken word. Okay? You take the phone out of a black person's house, you ain't heard them at all. Because we will find out what we need to find out orally. We are an oral people. We speak, okay? If Malcolm said you want to hide information, the best way to hide information from black people is put it in the pages of a book. Well, that may be true, but all I'm just saying is that we are an oral race. That's a different kind of a learner. Okay? That is a different, that is that is something different. We are also kinetic. We use our hands. Okay, we use our, we like to manipulate things. We use our hands. Okay, we're not going to go through the uh, Bloom's taxonomy, but it, it, basically there are different kinds of learners. I meant to say kinesthetic, but there are different kinds of learners. Now, the the the, the issue is is that because of this, and we are now realizing that, okay, that you have certain uh, uh, types of special education. Okay, different levels, different different areas of special education. Fourteen, I believe, is the is the number fourteen. 
And that's all well and good. Why is it that the majority of these students, and now, here we go again, even before there was such a large number of African students, why are most of these African students special ed? Why are most of the students in this city, if not, and now we're talking a good 90% special education? Why are we filling up most of our classrooms with special education students? All of the students are not special education. That is a form of racism. It's racist. And it's wrong. Children are being misdiagnosed just to put them in this classroom. Why? And what my host from the other radio talk show failed to bring out is that there's a check involved. There is money involved. And not just going towards the child. Ergo the parent. But there's a check that goes to the school. There's money involved here. And when you add money that's involved, then all of a sudden things become a little top-heavy. When money is involved, it's a whole other agenda. There's that word again, agenda. So if I'm walking in there into a classroom and I'm saying, okay, I'm going in there to help the kids because, and I got all of this, I got all this book smart. Just like Dr. Woodson was talking about in the miseducation of the Negro, and I have all of this 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 high end learning taught to me by who white professors, okay, because now we, we we're talking about something different now, higher, you know, master's degree now, you know, and, and it's all in here, not to say that I couldn't have learned that that a historically black college, but I didn't. The majority of people who get special education, uh, masters and so on, go to predominantly white schools. Or half and half. Okay, it's not just black schools. You know, it's not, it's, it's a low number of black schools. And so you have all of this education and everything, and then you go in there. Once again, I am guilty of this. And you're not helping. You're hurting. You are not you are not teaching, you are categorizing. You are not you are you, 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 you are not improving because also special education, you're not supposed to live there. You are supposed to help them differentiate. You are supposed to help them learn how to learn. And then they move on. Okay, then they're not supposed to stay there forever, not unless there is an extenuating circumstance where it is always needed. Like, you know, special addiction also covers blind if they're deaf, so on and so forth. But a lot of times it's corrected and they can move on. So now we have... Now we have um, 
a teacher who is highly, who is once again going in there for special education, teaching, but you're not helping. And what you are doing is you are perpetuating the notion that most African-American students need specialized IEPs or individual education plans because they are incapable of learning on a higher level, which is not true, which is not true at all. But once again, as Dr. Woodson said, because we are going in there with that thought and we are, are perpetuating that on the students that we have, that's what's being thought, and it's being thought over and over again. And the amount of special education students is not decreasing, it's increasing. So that you have a, 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 a group of, of public school students, and the majority of them are special ed. If not the majority, I take that back, not the majority, but a good quarter of most schools have I have students with IEPs. And I believe and, and I have been doing this for something like almost sixteen years. And and a lot of those students have been have been misdiagnosed. Okay, have been given paperwork that they did not need. And it starts at such a young age. A lot of these students that 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 I come across or 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 in the city have had IEPs since they were in the second grade. Now there's been a lot said about this brother that I'm about to talk about, and he was the psychologist at my school, and I liked him. I couldn't remember where I knew. I said, "Where did I know this guy from?" Dr. Umar Johnson, and it seems that, you know, I don't know what's going on, and I don't want to. All I know is is that I agree with a lot that he is saying. Um, uh, I don't know about, you know, he's starting a new school. Uh, I have never heard him speak in public. I have only known him as a professional. I have only known Dr. Umar Johnson as a young brother who knew exactly what he was talking about. Okay, and 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 we have had many conversations, you know, uh, on on this topic being that he was diagnosing a lot of students uh of uh, uh, that we had. Having said that, you know, cuz I'm not even going to do the the apology thing is that uh I'm going to play a, a clip of him. I'm going to read from his book, but we've had this snowstorm so his book didn't get here, about his explanation of the use of special education uh, and how it is um, miseducating and misdiagnosing our African youth. Today I want to talk about the predicament of black boys being overdiagnosed with learning disabilities that they do not have and being placed in special education that they do not need. For those who don't know, historically, special education was started with Public Law 94-142 being passed by the United States Congress in 1975. 
Public Law 94-142 was designed to make sure children with disabilities received a free and appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment. Prior to the passage of PL 94-142, a child with a learning challenge, be it deafness, blindness, or anything else, could be told to stay home. A school in many states could simply tell parents, we are not properly prepared and resourced to educate your child, so they need to stay at home with you. But in 1975, all that changed with the official birth of what we now call special education. Special education, although it can be good in many instances, can also be very, very bad and detrimental in other instances. As African people, we have to be crystal clear in understanding that just because a certain law was passed with positive intent, that that same law can be used disproportionately against black people with negative intent. And that's exactly what has happened with special education. Special education has become a dumping ground for black boys who teachers do not want in their classrooms. Yes, many of those teachers are white. But I would also say that many of those teachers just are as black as you or I. I struggle daily fighting to keep our boys out of special ed who do not need it and fighting to get our boys in special ed who actually do need it because there are educators and principals who could care less about the learning needs of the child and who are only interested in making sure that they have the most comfortable learning environment imaginable in their school. There are 13 special education classifications, categories, or diagnoses, depending on whatever term you want to use. One is mental retardation. Another is autism. We have specific learning disability. We have emotional disturbance. We have deafness. We have blindness. We have deafness with blindness. We have traumatic brain injury. We have orthopedic impairment. We have traumatic brain injury, which I think I may have said, other health impairment. In some states like Pennsylvania, you actually have the hearing impairment, and you also have the developmental delay, which in many states you no longer use as a diagnosis once the child begins school. It's simply used during the preschool years. Now, let's look at the big, the big black five. What are the big black five? The big black five are the five major diagnoses, or should I say the most prevalent, the diagnoses that I find in my professional work and that we tend to find in the special ed and psychological literature, okay, that tend to represent the gross amount of black kids who are put in special education. Of the 13, the big black five are learning disability, emotional disturbance, mental retardation, autism, and other health impairment, which is a title given to a child with an outside medical problem that is adversely impacting their ability to learn in school. Now, with mental retardation, I'm finding that too many black boys are being diagnosed with retardation that they don't have because the evaluator is looking exclusively at an IQ score, and they are not interpreting the entire intellectual profile that probably would have demonstrated that although the child's overall full-scale IQ score was below 70, which is the general cutoff when we start looking at intellectual deficiencies, but despite the fact that the child's overall IQ score was not below 70, okay, or was below 70, that the profile can still indicate that this is a child who may not be retarded. So if there's any parents out there who suspect that your black boy may have been diagnosed 
with retardation that they do not have. I want you to look at the psychological, the school psychological evaluation report and first see whether or not the child's IQ score was below 70. And if it was, you then want to look at the pattern of scores that are represented in the child's intellectual profile. For example, their working memory IQ score, was that also below 70? Their verbal ability score, was that below 70? Their working memory or mental processing speed IQ score, was that below 70? My point is, if the index scores were not below 70, or should I say if only one or two of them was below 70, which means it drastically affected the overall IQ score, then that overall IQ score is no longer interpretable. You cannot interpret an overall IQ score when there is significant scatter on the intellectual profile. That means if there are very high scores and then very low scores, and then very low scores, okay, you can interpret that profile. So what's very important for us to know and to understand is that an IQ score by itself does not render you retarded, just like an IQ score by itself doesn't automatically render you as someone without mental giftedness. Now, the other thing you want to look at when you're evaluating for intelligence is whether or not the child's adaptive behavioral scores are impaired. What is adaptive behavior? Adaptive behavior is how well a child can take care of himself, communicate with others, function in school, navigate the neighborhood, hold a job, and function in life as well as most other children at the same age or in the same grade. If the child can carry on intellectually in life outside of the classroom as well as most other students, then guess what? That sounds like somebody who's not retarded. You must first have an IQ score below 70. That is valid. The score must be valid, which is why I want you to look for the peaks and valleys, because if there's too many peaks and valleys on your child's intellectual profile, they may not be retarded. And then you want to look to see if your child has an impairment in adaptive behavior. And if neither one of those situations are present, your child can't possibly be retarded. And if one of those are not present, there's a likelihood that your child may have been misdiagnosed. But in addition, a mental retardation is emotional disturbance, which I find to be such a despicable diagnosis. I do give it because some children meet it, but I also find that sometimes it is applied judiciously, and injudiciously, unjudiciously, in cases where it shouldn't have been given. An emotional disturbance is the failure on part of a child to build and maintain relationships with teachers and peers, a pattern of depression or sadness associated with being in school, fears associated with being in school, and abnormal behaviors under normal circumstances. That can represent almost anything at any time. And it's very important that we make sure, okay, that a child isn't diagnosed with that ED if they absolutely do not have that problem. We're going to talk more about special ed, but this is a good intro for you, and I'll be back soon. All right, that was Dr. Umar Johnson, and no matter what opinion you may or may not have, the man of the brother knows his, what he's talking about and always always has as far as special education and how to diagnose it. Okay, now I played that clip and I I because I wanted to bring home the different facets that it's not just a bunch of paper that you sign off on, but there is a, 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 a ritual that must be followed in order to determine whether or not a child uh, uh, is eligible for special education, needs special education, okay, can be helped with special education, 
okay, and what kind of IEP or individual education plan they will have. Once again, as he said, some children need it, some don't. But we are so top-heavy with African children, male and female, because he's dealing mainly with male, male and female, okay, that that I question the validity of some of the uh, uh, IEPs and, and children that are involved in special education and, and, and whether or not they belong there. Mom, okay, well, what's that got to do with anything? You know, what's that got to do with education? Okay, well, you know, uh, they've been diagnosed, they're there, because once again, as Dr. Umar said, it is a way of separating them. It is a way of separating them so that way the the, the kids that don't have it, okay, because remember, most schools are being moved, not most schools, all schools are being moved by test scores. So you're removing. Okay, well, well, Johnny's been on third grade level, you know, for five years now. Okay, he must need an IEP. There must be something wrong with him. So you remove him and give him special circumstance. So that that way the test scores are now separated. Okay, because now you're talking about uh, 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 school ratings and evaluations. You're talking about teacher ratings and teacher evaluations. There is a lot riding on all of this. So in public schools, so now you've separated most of the white kids that are in Philadelphia go to private schools or go to magnet schools. And I don't have a problem with that. I, You know, do what it is that you have to do. All I'm saying is is that each school, there should be a level playing field. First of all, across the board with everything. Now, you may say, well, and, and, and though we may not have any cases of this, like, say, for instance, here, that boy that ran away after he ran over all them people and killed them and ran away to, to Mexico with his mother, And he was diagnosed with what? What the hell is affluenza? What is that? He was too affluent to understand what it was he was doing? Really? Is that what we're doing? When you have people who can diagnose... Now, he was too affluent. So what does that mean? To know what he was doing. Does that make him special ed? With a brand new kind of uh, 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 category that we have? I mean, what is going on? And when you have doctors and folk who are willing to sign off on this, they say, oh, yeah, you know, we have proof that this is too much. And once again, it's a division. So you have all these, because I'm not even going to go there. I I just had to bring that up. So you have the top heaviness of African children in public schools due to financial, you know, they couldn't afford it. They they didn't, uh, 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 they weren't uh, uh, given the test. 
okay, uh, because of the the lack of 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 equipment, textbooks and things, they weren't able to pass the test because the schools are not level, so therefore the education is not level. And the quality of teacher is different. That bears repeating. The quality of teacher is different. Now, I know schools that have wonderful teachers. The school where I teach has wonderful teachers. It's really been blessed and across the board, black and, and white. It is unusual. Not only is it unusual, it is just odd. Because in most of the other schools that I have taught, the opposite is just the case. You get the worn-out teacher who is just trying to, to, to make it through. Okay, they, 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 they come in because, once again, there are over 4 million, 4 million teachers in this country. I, Off the top of my head, I can't remember how many exactly are in Philadelphia, but it's, it's, it's thousands in Philadelphia. Four, five thousand in Philadelphia. Uh, if somebody has another number, you know, uh, phoning in, even though I haven't given the number yet. Uh, the call in number is five one six four one eight five five seven five. I'm going to get better at doing that, folks. I know I haven't given the number either, uh, and and I will. I'm going to put it on the uh, advertisements that I have on Facebook and everything like else, so you can call in. But I it's 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 four or five thousand uh teachers in, in Philadelphia. As I said last week, for me to believe that all of them have the same belief system that I have is foolish. So they're going in with their own way of thinking. Some of them are not culturally uh uh adherent to how African Children born in America need to be taught. There is no African-centered agenda. You know, we have Black History Month, and we have a little bit of time that we spend on African history. Other than that, we really don't spend no time on African history. So if it ain't squeezed in a couple of months, you ain't going to get it. How could you squeeze thousands and thousands of years? Even, you know, my cousin Timothy has that dojo in California would say it was 4,000 years ago. How are you going to cover 4,000 years in a couple of months? These are the things that must be covered with an agenda. These are the, these are the things. I, I, I stuck on special education because it is the new wave of, 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 of how to segregate and move all of our children to certain areas where the education is low, but the expectancy is lower. They aren't expected to succeed. And as I have been told over and over again, and I keep forgetting to say this by my elder, one of my teachers, is that this system was not set up for African children to be successful. City after city, school after school, you look at it across this country, African children born in America are not being successful in school because it's the system. It is not the child. The system is set up so that they are set up to fail. 
Special education is just one other thing. They are set up to fail. There is no money being put into this. How are you going to go broke and not give any money to the schools? This budget still hasn't been established yet in Philadelphia. There is still no budget. When is this going to change? It's not. That's the point. And it's still uh, and until new thinkers, not no old fogies like me, but you need young, fresh folk, young kids out of college that have to be persuaded somehow to come into these schools and change this around because that's what you need. The same way it was before in the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s. Teachers, good teachers, African-centered teachers. And now we have the ability to, to, to have that now. Because African Center is slowly but surely, it, 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 is, it is, is more a, a way of thinking now. People are more aware. As Malcolm said, we, we're becoming more intelligent. But it's being wasted because we are not sharing that with our children. The people of higher education must go back and teach these things to our children. No, you ain't going to get no real pat on the back. Teachers don't. You're the lowest of the totem pole as far as professionals are concerned. But there is pride and there is dignity in being a teacher, and that has to be expressed to the young people that are coming out of college now. We have a good crop, one of the youngest, and he will be on my show soon, uh, Dr. Hayes, uh, the youngest black man to get a Ph.D., from uh, uh, Delaware State University, he was in the paper. Look him up. Jamal Hayes got a brother. Get ready, graduate from high school at 15 years old. Wave they from North Philly. So don't I? I know it's possible. I know I know it can be done. But you need to be progressive. We need to be progressive. We need to be proactive. Now, I had promised, and I'm going to keep my promise, because I'm coming towards the Wow, is it two hours already? <laughs> Unbelievable. Boy, I could talk. Terry Cricket. Anyway, uh, this is Mama Donna's 10-point plan or educational agenda. This is the agenda that I'm going to write. I could have sworn I typed it up, but that's okay, because this is, this is written out. And this is my 10-point plan, my agenda. Every African in Philly should have an agenda when they walk out. When we go to these town hall meetings, when we go uh, to, to, to uh, 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 the SRC, the School Reform Commission, those clowns, um, uh, uh, to their meetings, when we go to, to after-school night, that, which is that another topic for another day, uh, for those parents who do go to after school night, uh, uh, when we when we go to these town hall meetings with our congressmen, you know we got a big election coming up here in my in my neck of the woods in Philly. Uh, uh, Dwight Evans is running. Okay, another election. 
that I'm going to hold on to my vote because I'm going to have my agenda with me. And I want, will I get every point? No. But the point is, is that I have an agenda. And if only one or two of these are, are, are being met, then that's a start. Number one, fully employed schools, teachers proportional to the student ratio. Uh, in other words, if it's 80% black, then there should be 80% black teachers in the school. That's it. And it should be fully employed. Shouldn't have all these lapses in, you know, in Philadelphia now. You can't find a, 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 a substitute teacher because of that, that. And that was just a hot mess that we'll talk about on another day. But so many schools are now empty where teachers are, are teaching like four or five classes that aren't theirs and doubling up. How are you going to teach 40 or 50 kids in a classroom? I can't anyway. Number two. More African male teachers. Okay, we need to have more brothers in these classrooms. We just do, and students do respond. African children born in America do respond to African male teachers born in America. Number three, new textbooks in every subject which reflect our cultural, our culture and our Africanness. Yes, math books. Okay, yes, science books. Okay, all of those, not just literature, not just history, but every textbook, which is, is in line culturally with what, what we are, who we are, and our Africanness. Number four, technology, like smart boards in every classroom, and everybody gets training in them. At least 80% of the supplies and technology is bought from Africans born in America. Let me, because that bears repeating, 80%. Of all the supplies that we get, the smart boards, the textbooks, buy them from African-American suppliers, Africans born in America suppliers. Since 80% of the students are African. All right. Anyway. Number, number six. Schools that have training and certifications for students not going to college. In other words, every child does not have to go to college, but we need to have training. Whether or not it's automotive, hair, and, and, you know, culinary, whatever the case may be. And that they get certified in that so that as soon as they graduate, they can get a job. Okay. Seven. School-owned businesses run by the scholars and operated with their own business plan and training in how small businesses are run. Every senior needs to do a senior project, and it's always outside of the school. What we need to have is small businesses that are actually run, owned by the school, run by the students, so they can learn when they have all this training in culinary and in automotive or, you know, whatever the case may be, or they're going into business or whatever, that they will have their own business that they can look forward to or, or look to to be educated and get and get hands-on experience that they could use to put on their resumes. Number eight, uh, ongoing neighborhood support with some kind of individual district rule that businesses contribute a certain amount of their taxes to neighborhood schools. I'm talking about them poppy stores. 
I'm talking about them corner stores. Most of them ain't owned by Africans anyway, which is another show and another topic for another day. But every single day, at least in my school, and it has been, kids coming in with bags full of candy, bags full of potato chips, bags full of uh, uh, soda and popcorn. How about kicking in some of those tax dollars that y'all are paying? I ain't saying going into your register. I'm not saying that. But some of those tax dollars that you're paying to the city need to come back to the school system. And and supporting the neighborhood school that you're selling all that junk food to. Anyway. Number nine. All right, parents, this is for you. And I... I left it for the end, but it really should be in the beginning. Mandatory amount of times that you have to attend parent-teacher days and nights. We have parent-teacher time during the day, and we have it at night. I know some of you are working two or three jobs, but some of you aren't. I've been doing this for 16 years. And once again, it bears repeating. I know that some of you are very busy. Some of y'all ain't. You're just not. And it needs to be mandatory. Okay, and if you can't do it at those mandatory times, then pick a time. You tell us when you're coming in. But there needs to be a mandatory amount of times that you come in to check on your child. It was just like what my cousin had said. I wish I had said that myself. If there's a high school, junior high and elementary school are not daycares. You don't drop your kids off and pick them up at the end of the year. You, it is your responsibility to come in and see what we're doing as much as it is my responsibility to teach them. And finally, number 10, schools have breakfast and lunches that are nutritional and healthy. Good Lord, I don't even want to, you know what, nutritional and healthy, and that's a discussion for another time because I want to talk about the nutrition of our of our students. Well, that's Mama Donna's 10-point plan, and it is also the end of the show, two hours. Boy, I could really do that. Um, I have enjoyed it. I hope that you have gotten something out of it and that you have learned something about the minds that are beneath our schools and that you also, okay, well, well I'm going to make the number uh, available and uh, that you will take the educational system in Philadelphia or wherever you're listening from because I know this is Internet, so you listen from all over the country to wherever you're listening from, that, that, that you will look at the educational system and the racist system that are in the major cities in our country and try to improve them. This is Mama Donna Aina Alawasi signing off until next Tuesday. The Mind Beneath the School. Peace. Yeah.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.